We have another live show for you guys. We're coming back to New York City because I'm back in town. We put something together for May 15th. We're back at Sesh Comedy. Show starts at 7.30. Doors open at 7 p.m. I'm so excited. We loved Sesh when we were there the last time. I'm pumped to be able to do another show back in New York so soon. So Wednesday, May 15th. For tickets, head to our website at findingmrheight.com slash live. That's findingmrheight.com slash live. You can get your tickets right there. That ticket link will be up as you are hearing this announcement. And the venue is BYOB. So if you want a drink, bring a drink. If you like a Diet Coke, bring a Diet Coke. And we're going to hang out afterwards. We can say hello to everybody. Hope to see you all there. See you there. Yeah. Is he? May I ask, is he younger? Yes, but I don't think he's that much younger. Let's see. How old is he? I have his bumble up so that we could. He's 28. Okay, he's a lot younger than me. (laughs) But he's not Gen Z. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Height, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Rourke, but without my voice. I was going to say, I don't think I can say how I'm doing without addressing the elephant in the room, which is your voice. So I think we need to start with you. My fucking voice. So... I my major update for the week is that I played my first big volleyball tournament since the pandemic. Yay, welcome back. Thank you. Um I've played like outdoors, yeah. um, but this was the first big indoor one. It was three days long. We were in Atlantic City. Looked it like you were so having much a blast. Fun. Oh, the best time. Um, it was so fun. However, in addition to my body not being in shape for three days of volleyball, evidently my voice is also not. So here we are. You know, it's okay. I think the juice was worth the squeeze, as they say. I totally agree, even though I sound like a kindergartner on my work calls. And and I sound like this to thousands of people. Great. <laughs> Although you can attest that this is much better than what I was working with on Monday. Yeah, much improved. We were supposed to record a couple days ago, and you sent me a voice memo over text and... You had just said, oh, there's going to be a problem, actually, with our recording tonight. And I was like, oh, no, she must have a conflict. Oh, no, your your instrument is broken. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, but it's it's feeling better now. But Good. Uh, alas. Yeah. Apologies, listeners. Um, well, that's okay. We will keep our updates brief and just hop right into our interview with Logan at some point. Sounds great. So yeah, what what's new with you? What's going on? Well, I think the text that I sent you today really says it all when we were trying to schedule this. My response to you was, I have Botox at 2.15, therapy at 4, and an unplanned date. <laughs> I, I love all of these updates. Yeah. Um, which I didn't know that you did Botox, and I like am very intrigued because it has been on my radar to investigate. I truly can't recommend it enough. I think I've been doing it for two years now. Um, I go every six months approximately and you can, I, I, I would love it if you could put like a filter on these videos cause you can tell I'm like a little bit puffy in some areas where oh, I just sort of bruised tell. a little bit, but anyway, it's usually, it's, I find it very painless. I think it's great preventative. I think it's like a no brainer in terms of low impact interventions for keeping your face intact as you age. Well, I've heard that the younger you start it, the less you need it. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, it truly is preventative because you're you don't want your wrinkles to set 
and basically have them trying to erase things that are already there. Rather, if you start training your muscles to not work and make those shapes with your skin, then you won't actually like get the wrinkles. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, so um, food for thought, future yeah, Ellie. Some insight into my beauty routine, and then um, yeah. So I think we should just like walk through the series of texts that I went through today with this man. I think we need to. Um, before we do that, though, I have been keeping something from you. Yeah. I also have an unplanned date tonight. Oh, my God. Wait, I thought the date tonight was planned. No. Oh, my God. Okay. What? What? Where are yeah, you at? Where's your – what's what happened? Okay, wait. I'm dying. We have, like – we have very recently, like, come to a plan. Okay, but I was absolutely – we're going to get to your stuff first, but I was absolutely dying when you were telling me that you had this unplanned date because I knew we were recording, so I didn't tell you that I too had one. Amazing. Yesterday, I get this text. Hey, good morning. So do you want to plan something this week? Instantly. Nope. No. No, sir, I don't. Yeah. So I kind of evade that exact question and said, yes, would love to get together. Let me know what you have in mind. Mm -hmm. A couple hours go by. Sorry, had a few phone calls and then had to run my car to the dealership. Still just lots of studying this week? Or do you have hard commits certain nights? And I said, oh, so I'm studying for the bar. So like, that's important. I'm free tomorrow night or Sunday. He says, okay, okay cool. Let's do tomorrow then. I say, great. But what will we be doing? It, I literally ask five hours later. And so what are we doing tomorrow? He said, haha, I'll figure that out tonight. He will not. <sighs> what part of town are you in again? I say, Santa Monica. And... He said a couple hours later, I remember you work downtown. Will you be downtown to say, today? And I will be one day working downtown, but I have to take the bar first. And so I said, no, I don't start work until September. I have to take the bar first. <laughs> he says, gotcha. Okay. He, and he lives downtown, right? He lives downtown. And so I could feel he wanted me to come that way, which yeah. for non-LA people, that is the, like the direction of commuter traffic. And so the idea that I was going to drive from Santa Monica to downtown is just ludicrous. Like at least meet me halfway. I Like I could meet him in Culver I could, or Beverly Hills. Like I could be amenable to that. And so I'm just waiting for, I think he wanted me to pull the trigger on the cancel. Right. That's what I think he was up to. For yeah, for like you to be the one to be like, I don't think this is going to work out so that he doesn't to be the bad guy in the situation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, I just was stubborn and waited him out. And at 1.15 today, I received, hey, sorry, I was at a doctor's appointment, actually a Cairo appointment. And now I'm feeling pretty out of it. I think it's better if we wait until Sunday since I'm downtown until five o'clock anyway. How does that sound? Too many words. A little too specific of a lie there. Too many words. Anyway, so I wasn't sure exactly what to do. A Cairo appointment, actually. God. Yeah, exactly. What? Did he, like, snap your neck between 9.30 and 1.15? Okay. So I said, I can do Sunday, but it would help me to have a plan a day or two in advance so I can plan my studying around it. Mm -hmm. We'll see. He says, for sure. I'm usually a planner. LOL. What time are you free Sunday? Anyway, so that's where we're at. I don't believe him for one second. I don't either. But he – no. I don't either. Zero percent chance. Completely agree. So what? So uh, my date turned into a cancel. Yours turned into a plan. Are we going? We are going. Great. Um, so I I don't think I'm gonna like this guy. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Okay. We're gonna call him the Bet. Interesting. I don't know who is this. That is because he continues to say the word Bet 
Which like you bet or no, like oh bet. It's like a it's like a Gen Z. Am I teaching you a new word? Hundred percent. Oh, okay. So it's like Urban Dictionary. It, it means like okay, cool. I think I, I'm going to get DMs about how it doesn't mean okay, cool. Yeah, Urban Dictionary. But like it's like a very Gen Z thing. So like if I say like I'm free at seven, the person would say like okay, bet or even okay. just bet. It says slang for for sure. Oh, okay, so I was close. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is what it is. I I do I don't really have an I have a couple friends that do say that, but like I just I don't feel that that's my vibe. Yeah. Is he may I ask is he younger? Yes, but I don't think he's that much younger. Let's see. How old is he? I have his bumble up so that we could He's 28. Okay, he's a lot younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not Gen Z. Like 20 like That's on You the know, bubble. he's not he's not 24. True. So, I actually think I forget when millennials start, but I know my brother is one and he's 29. Okay. We're calling him the bet for this reason. Makes sense. Um, so basically everything was great. I mean, everything is still fine. But like the way that the plan came together is this was last week, so well in advance. Um, he actually moved very quickly in a good way from mm. our like appetizer interaction yeah. into a first date. Like he said calamari was his answer. I said, I love calamari. He said, so can we make that a real scenario? Great. Love I that. Bet. Yep. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I can't pull it off. I can't pull it off. Yeah. Um, okay. We're, we're, we're so, chuggy, Allie. It's fine. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so that happened. And so then he said, are you around next week? I said, I am. What does your Wednesday look like? Because this was the only night I had free. Actually, technically, I did not yet have it free because I did have a date with the scuba diver that I canceled. Oh, that's why – that is why in my head I was like, I think she has something Wednesday. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Doing a trade. Yeah. We just traded. I was also supposed to have a date last night, which is now on Friday because I t- yesterday I could not have he- held a conversation with someone for yeah 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 a date. So anyway, he said I can come to you. You're in BK, right? He's in Manhattan. So I said yeah. So anyway, we basically he then said I live in Flatbush. He then said Flatbush, and I said that's great. And then I suggested seven thirty. He said great. That's it. This is way then further to- than I got. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Then today, he messaged me and said, I can do a few drinks later. Any spots in mind? Feel free to text me and drops his number. Okay. So I'm confused by this because I can do a few drinks later. We have a date scheduled. Yes. Like you don't need to say that. It just yeah. like a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it is weird. So also, I didn't like the any spots in mind, but like whatever. So I said, I actually just moved to the neighborhood. I trust you to pick a good one. And I gave him my number. Brilliant. Then he said, okay, bet. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So he did text me, although all he said was his first name. Sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Technically an opening. I'm sorry. He said his first name and then a hang loose emoji. Or no, this isn't hang loose. What is this? That's, um, yeah, that's. No, hang loose is without the pointer finger. What's pointer finger pinky thumb? I don't know. I think that's like a slur in Italy. <laughs> I don't know. Is this like a skater thing? This yeah. Is, this is – we've gone off the rails. Okay. This is the like Allie and Merck are very hip episode so far. <laughs> so hip. So hip. Okay. 
Anyway, he said, I'll search for a spot and let you know shortly. He also asked me if I had any food allergies. This was all like, great. When you texted me that you had an unplanned date, we were in between when he had texted me saying that he could do a few drinks tonight. Yeah, that, okay, I, yes, 100%, that is an unplanned date. Yeah, so I was thrown into a tailspin because I thought I had a planned date and then I got that text message. Yeah, it almost feels like a step back from this progress. Yeah, that's very strange. It did. So anyway, he suggested a spot that is not in my neighborhood at all. It's fine. It it is in Brooklyn and he is in Manhattan. It's like probably more than halfway to me. Okay. Um, So like it's it's fine. But I just – but then I had told him what time I could meet based on some client calls that I have. And so then I had to push it back because it's no longer – so then I had to call out to him the fact that – he told me it was going to be in my neighborhood and it's no longer in my neighborhood so I can no longer meet at the time we agreed to. Oh, yeah. That does change the logistics. Yeah. I, I thought I was going to be able to walk to whatever he suggested. False. Yeah. So Right. It's going to take me like 40 minutes to get there now, which is, again, totally fine, but I just yeah. didn't plan that into my night. So now it's like kind of a late date, but that's fine. Um, and the last thing he said to me is bet. It seems like the right note <laughs> to end on. Yeah. So I asked if we could do a little later. He said, great. I said, you know, whatever. He said, bet. How many times was that said in the thread? Three. Okay. That's three too many. But yeah, at least two too many. I'd prefer zero. It's at least two too many. Yeah. It's, that's why he's the bet. That's a, it's a perfect – that's a great nickname. Yeah. So we're also not getting calamari, which I kind of forgot about until I told you this story. Yeah. I was going to ask, has he picked an Italian place or like a tapas place? That no. Have that? Vietnamese. Okay. I mean, also delicious. Also delicious. Totally fine with it. Yeah. So yeah. So we've got that tonight, and then we'll go out. I haven't. Those. Yeah, I haven't named the guy for Friday yet. So, but by the time we record our next episode, I will have gone out with him. Fabulous. Yeah. I have an update on the newcomer. Oh. Or the okay. new arrival. I have an update on the, the new, new arrival. arrival. Yeah, the new arrival. Sorry. Whoops. No, won't matter. But um, it might. I don't know. I have heard from him. Anyway. So. I It came up on the first date that I was going on a group trip for Memorial Day and he was going camping for Memorial Day. And for some reason, as I think a lot of people would, you'd assume it ends at Memorial Day when somebody describes going camping for Memorial Day. Yep. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out our second date for the short week before leaving for a long weekend. And he... We're trying to schedule it and he's talking about how he has to do all this prep work, how he has to say goodbye to his friends. And I'm like, what is happening here? How much will they miss you over three days? Exactly. Come to find out, this is a camping trip for the entire month of June. No. Yeah. So And so, ugh. I'm taking issue with two parts of this. One, he's going camping for the entire month of June. Huge red flag. Camping and <laughs> so that was that was the second thing. Yeah, was the second thing. So the first part was that like he didn't he didn't tell you that he was, that the camping trip was a month long. But the second issue is that the camping trip is a month long. I know, I know, and so it's tough. He'll be back. I think he's going. He's going from camping to visit his family for July Fourth, and then he'll be back. And that's when I'm just going to be in the true depths of hell with the bar. So mm. who the heck knows? We have communicated. Um, which is good, but yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I'm certainly not holding my breath, but like, who knows? Is he going to want you to go camping? Hopefully he's like getting it out of his system. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds risky. I know. 
but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I had a blast from the past experience while I was in Atlantic City. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's this guy. There's every year on Memorial Day weekend, typically, yeah. there's something called Adult Nationals, which is a national volleyball tournament for adults, um, like washed up former college athletes. And it's like hundreds, typically, not this year, hundreds of volleyball teams all convening on the same convention center. We're all staying in the same two or three hotels. It's like a four-ish day. It sounds like the Olympic Village to me. It is exactly like the Olympic Village, but okay. at a very much, much lower level. <laughs> and the level is still decently high because everybody played in college. But like, Yeah, I was going to say, if so, so far above whatever I could But do, not so. Olympic Village. So, but but that is exactly what it's like in the sense that like we're all at the same bars, like we like play all day and then like drink all night and then wake up hungover and play all day again and like watch then like watch each other play. So it'll be like, oh, this guy came to watch our game and now like we're gonna meet him out. It's it's very campy. Cute. I love that. Yeah, it's the best. So last year obviously got canceled. This year there was a much, much reduced version for like basically just the Northeast in Atlantic City. Okay. Um and at that tournament was this guy who I haven't seen in five years. Wow. Was it the chef? <laughs> no. We this call- is your you're on a five year cycle of some kind. <laughs> so true, man. So it was the same year of the chef, obviously. Yeah. Um, we call him Baby Bic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Bic is a volleyball term. Oh, I assume I assumed it was a Bic razor. Oh no. Okay. No, Bic is a volleyball term. Gotcha. Um, and the reason we call him that is that he is now 24. <laughs> the look on Rook's face. <laughs> Did you did you approach him by saying bet? Because I think he would respond to it well. He would respond well. So when I knew him and had like a little flirtation with him at Nationals five years he ago. Was he was 19. He was 19. I, I was going to say that's um, some simple math. Holy was, crap. Yeah. So it was uh, – yeah. It, he was He's very cute in a very young way. But anyway, I like saw him again and we like, you know, talked, whatever, like nothing. But then I had to text him for a different reason to find Oh, really? Else. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to say the reason because it would expose somebody else and something happened. But Incredible. Okay. I had to text him about a teammate of his unrelated to me. Understand. And first I searched for his first name, couldn't find it. Then remembered, oh, I think he saved as something else. Thought about it for a while. Remembered the baby Bic thing. <laughs> Search for baby Bic. There he was. The last conversation we had was about how he was trying to meet me out, but his fake ID got taken at the bar. If that isn't a time capsule. <laughs> oh, my God. How did that make you feel? <laughs> oh, Honestly, like I was like, that was fun. Yeah. That, that flirtation with a 19-year-old, that was fun. Um, and I also remembered that he subsequently was trying to visit me in New York City after this tournament. Mm-hmm. And I was like, absolutely not. What would we do in New York? We would just have to sit in my apartment while I go out and buy us beer? Like, that sounds terrible. Oh, I don't like that at all. That sounds really, no. really not good. No. So I never saw him again after that tournament until this past week. Until now. Yeah. I'm glad you had fun, though. Oh, yeah. It was so much fun. Um, and yeah, 
now now I can't talk, but here we are. Yeah, I was gonna say that was the that was the necessary longer version for the quick explanation given up top. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> well, we are now finally airing our interview with Logan Yuri. Yes. I'm so excited. And I'm super excited about yeah, that. Yeah, me too. So we actually already introed it when we recorded it. So let's throw it to that. Yeah. Done. She is incredible. Um, she is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach. She wrote a book called How to Not Die Alone, which you and I actually read prior to her even being on the radar to be a guest on our podcast. Yeah. This was something that you and I were just interested in because what she talks about really aligns with like the values of this podcast. Yes. Um, and she's now also, which we didn't get into, but I'm at some point dying to, she is now the director of relationship science at Hinge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've got a bone to pick with her. But. <laughs> But what I also just really love about her is how data-driven all of her advice is because of her background, obviously. Yeah. That just really speaks to my soul. And I really loved talking to her. She was so easy to talk to. It was, was, you know, we're new with having guests on in some ways, especially like true professionals like she is. And she just made it so easy. She really did. So let's go to her. Get into it. Let's go to Logan. So I've been talking a bunch about how I'm trying to order in less. And part of that is that I'm cooking at home more. But when I don't have time to cook, which is more often than not, I have really still been loving Factors meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, and they have so many options too. Every week, their menu, they have 35 options that you can pick from. So you can find whatever it is that you're looking for. It's so easy. It's no fuss and no mess. It's so great. And I've also been really enjoying their add-ons that they have. So they have breakfast. They have on-the-go lunches if you don't work from home. I've been ordering their snacks recently to have like a little pick-me-up in the afternoon. And I've really been enjoying that. Yeah. And they also are celebrating Earth Day all month. You can look for their Earth Month Eats badge on their menu. And that will be meals that have the lowest carbon footprint. So shout out to Factor for that one. That's pretty cool. So you can head to factormeals.com slash FMH50 and use code FMH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code FMH50 at factormeals.com slash FMH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Welcome back. We now have Logan with us. Hi, Logan. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, As we mentioned up top, Logan is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach. She recently wrote a book called How to Not Die Alone, which Rourke and I have both devoured. We're obsessed with it. And we're so excited to talk to you today. Yay. I've been really looking forward to this too. Yeah. Yes, it really – it definitely incentivized me to go on. I like to download – um, books that I view as kind of like treats to listen to on Audible for to motivate walking and running. And um, you were an, a very important part of my exercise routine the past Oh, month. that makes me so happy. Yeah, I do the same thing with This American Life where it's such a treat to me and there's, all, you know, not always a new episode. So I only listen to it when I really need it, like when I'm cleaning my house or I, I'm on a flight and I land at two in the morning and I'm like, how am I going to get home? And so I love to hear that I'm a treat for you. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I also am obsessed with all of the research in your book. I'm such a data nerd. I like analyze data and financials for a living aside from this. And so I was just like geeking out on all the references and like looking at the backup sources. It was super fun. Yay. Okay. I'm so glad that at least one person looked at the appendix and the end notes. (laughs) Definitely. Probably too. Rourke is very similar to me in that 
in that. Oh, yeah, that. no, I, I, there's nothing I love more than thinking fast and slow mm-hmm. and Daniel Kahneman and like a lot of a lot of that stuff that um, I think scaffolded some of the points made in your book. I find so fascinating, like biases and heuristics. I love that stuff. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Some people, all they really want from the book is what to do in dating. Some people are like, okay, I believe you because you use terms like sunk cost fallacy, but it sounds like this book for you was really the combination of two of your interests, which are really my two interests, which is that psychology and research piece and then the dating and relationships piece. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually a consumer psych minor in college. I'm in retail. Um, cool. But the consumer psychology of retail has always mm-hmm. fascinated me in terms of why people buy things. And I see dating as very much, especially dating apps, mm. as very similar to e-com. And I'm in e-com. So in terms of like click-through rates and conversion and all of those, that kind of marketing jargon that we use in e-com, it, it all kind of applies. Oh, that's fascinating. I've never heard anyone put that together. But yes, I was interviewed for an article in The Atlantic a few years ago called Is Dating a Market? And we talked all about supply and demand mm. and how you represent yeah. yourself online. And you know, I try not to lean into that too much because I think ideally people are not entering it thinking like, oh, it's just a numbers game and I have to reject this many people and accept this many people. But I can absolutely see how your background applies to dating. Yeah. Totally. Well, before we really dive in, Rourke and I have this section that we mentioned to you on the pod called Weird or Nah. And it's super fun, or at least I think so. Rourke gets a little bit anxious because I hide the results from her. <laughs> but- yeah, I have, I have issues being wrong, Logan, and I've never <laughs> been right yet. So <laughs> That's really funny. So what we do is we pose a question to our followers and we give them a scenario about somebody that they're dating and then we say, is this weird or not? Weird or not weird? Um, And then they answer. And then after they answer, they have an opportunity to give a little more color about why they Mm. thought it was weird or why they didn't. This week, we used a part of your book that we're going to get into later and said, they think it will happen when it's meant to happen. So O'Rourke, are you going to answer first? I, I'm happy to, I'm happy. I'll, I'll take the fall first or I'll anchor you either one. <laughs> um, so my gut here is a little bit torn because this isn't weird in that many people think this, right? It's not a weird thought. And yet I disagree with it as a concept. And so I'm not mm-hmm. sure how to distinguish that how to put that in the right terms. I personally voted weird because I disagree with it. And so, but I do think people are going to say, this is such a common thought. This is fine. And so I'm going to say this is 40% weird, 60% nah, not weird. Okay. Logan. Oh, wow. Do I have to give numbers? I was uh-huh. just going to say. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I, I really like your reasoning, work. I was going to say, I don't think that that is a useful way of approaching the world, but I think if somebody just heard this statement, it'll happen when it's happened. They're like, yeah, that's a that's an old wife. Uh, that's that's the thing I've heard mm-hmm. or like that's not weird or lots of people believe that. And so maybe I'll say 80 percent nah, 20 percent weird. It is right in the middle of you guys. Okay. It is 30 percent weird, 70 percent nah, 27, nice. 73 if we're going to be specific about it. But – you both hit on exactly what a lot of people said. And I think mm-hmm. this might be one of the more nuanced ones that we've ever posted mm-hmm. in the sense of every single person 
who, well, most people, some people write in weird stuff, but every single person who said their reasoning gave context or mm. caveats or, well, yeah, but. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it was very black and white for a lot of people, which is kind of what you guys said. Yeah. Like I could imagine if you yeah, add one and maybe, maybe you have something like this, like, do you believe in the one? And it's like, well, I believe in multiple people who could be the one. It's like, it begs that caveat. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people said, you know, well, I do think that there is a good time for something to happen and you need to be ready and that's what mm -hmm. that could mean. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't put in work. And they like, they, they thought about it a lot, which I that's appreciate. That's good. That makes me happy. That's good. Yeah, they, I, it means I they're engaging with, with the content. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now that we've, you know, decided on that, I think actually that really brings us into the first part of your book. And one of the things that Rourke and I love the most about your book is how it spans so many different stages of dating. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, but so many books kind of stop mm -hmm. that I've read at least, and I've, I've read mm -hmm. a lot. But a lot of them kind of stop at, oh, okay, you found somebody. Like, bye, good job. Congratulations. Good luck. Yeah. And so we thought it would be cool to kind of go through the different stages of dating and talk about the way your book does and, you know, talk about some different stuff that we picked up on within that. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm definitely somebody who thinks chronologically and I like timelines and I like about thinking, I like thinking about you bought the book when you were single, where you want to be is maybe married or in a committed relationship. How do I get you there? And just in terms of the sausage making, there was definitely discussion within my publisher where it was like, well, maybe the first book is single and then DTR in the relationship. But I was like, I just want to set them up for success. And so I did include stuff about moving in and getting married and even intentional love in that last chapter. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you like the flow of the book because my hope is that somebody reads it and says, I'm not ready for the breakup chapter yet, but I'm going to put this on my shelf. And then when they're going through that next breakup, they take it off and they're like, okay, I'm glad I have this resource. I really hope it's becomes kind of a reference book for the different stages. Yeah. That's a great way to frame it. I love that. Um, so in the beginning, you talk about these three dating tendencies and I love a quiz and there's a quiz in there to kind of figure out, you know, which one you are. And both of us took that quiz and not unsurprisingly, I was not surprised with Rourke's result. I don't, Rourke, were you surprised by mine? No, not at all. I, I was, I felt it's very, very clear result for both of us. I knew that we were clearly not going to be what Logan refers to as the hesitator, but I think what's interesting in any type of trying to kind of put yourself into a labeled box of some kind is I try to find kind of the limits of that where it's like, mm -hmm. here's where I identify, but then here's where I feel like I kind of go left. Yeah. So in those three, Logan, do you want to give us the quick little snapshot of, of those three tendencies? Sure. Yeah. And so just to set it up for listeners who haven't come across the book, the first third of the book is getting ready. And basically the idea is you want to be in a relationship. It hasn't worked out for you yet. You might be stressing about it. Instead of thinking that there's something wrong with you or that dating is something that you're born knowing how to do, you should think about dating as a skill. And the book is going to empower you with those skills and it's going to illuminate for you what's holding you back. And so this quiz, which 
really, I think has helped people because it's so helpful to have that label and term and, you know, text your friend and be like, I'm being a hesitator tonight, right? All of that stuff is helpful for people from a language (laughs) precision perspective. And so basically the three dating tendencies is my framework for identifying the most common blind spots that are holding people back from finding love. And the first one is the romanticizer, which we just talked about this a little bit, uh, is people who love love and they have really high expectations for relationships and they think that there's a soulmate and one person out there for them and they believe when I meet this person, it will be effortless and it will be really clear to me that this is my person and then we'll live happily ever after. And then the second type is the maximizer. And this is the person who says, I want to research everything out there. I want to see all the options. I want to know what's available for me. And they feel like, ah, I like my girlfriend, but could I be 10% happier with somebody else? Or could she be 5% more ambitious? Should be, you know, 2% more interested in ideas. It's like, they're trying to come up with this Frankenstein partner and they're so focused on finding the perfect partner rather than what I believe, which is really building that perfect relationship. And then the last one is the hesitator, which it sounds like you two are not, which is somebody who is waiting to date and they think, I'm just not lovable yet. And this has to do with unrealistic expectations of themselves. Yeah, it's a real story. that was intense. That was wild. I kind of like thunderstorms. Um, And yeah, the hesitator is just sitting there saying, when I lose 10 pounds, when I get a new job, when the pandemic is over, it's always something. It's always waiting until the perfect moment, but they don't realize that you only get better at dating by dating. You only figure out who you want to be with by going on dates. And so the work for the hesitator is really to overcome that emotion and really put themselves out there. To put words to what I was saying earlier, I took the quiz and came out as a maximizer. And Allie, you were romanticizer which I could I could have told you that based on the the words of the labels. Okay, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad that it it was sometimes people are like I'm all three and I'm like that's possible but it's probably not as fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that I think that I don't I find that my view or my approach is more nuanced than mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that's probably true for everybody who identifies with one of these labels and I know Rourke will get into how you feel about the your maximizer label in a second but because and I think a lot of it is probably also because of this platform and because of having done so much research yeah. on dating, yeah. I've my views and approach has probably shifted in ways that I might not even realize because of all of that. Um, because while I do love love and I am a romanticizer, I don't think I don't believe in the one. I don't think there's that one person, and I also don't think when it's meant to be, it'll be. Mm-hmm. I think you have to put in a ton of effort to make that happen, both to find somebody that's going to work and then also to make it work with that somebody. Yeah. I mean, just based on the fact that you do this podcast, it means to me that you're thoughtful about relationships, you're curious about relationships, you're working harder to get better at them. And so work, I'm excited to hear more about you, but I imagine, Ali, maybe you're a reformed romanticizer. Like your gut reaction is to be with all of this, but you've kind of rolled it back by being like, okay, let's be realistic. Like I'm over the Disney rom-com and Rourke, maybe you're like, okay, I am actually an extreme maximizer, but not in every place of my life. And in dating, I've learned to throw out the checklist. And so I think it's like, what is the main thing that your friends would say? You know, is it that you're too picky? Is it that you're uh, too focused on Prince Charming or for the hesitator? Is it that you don't put yourself out there? But then obviously there's shades of gray for how far you are on the spectrum of really suffering from it versus overcoming it. Yeah. Right. 
Because Rourke, for you, you f- I feel like you do really work on things and don't just like cut and run when you feel like it could be better. A hundred percent. I think for I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Master of None, the Aziz Ansari dating show. Yeah, I love. But that. there's an episode where he, the entire arc of the episode is him researching tacos in New York City, and by the time that he has decided upon the one he's going to consume, the shop has closed. <laughs> and that is that is me. Yeah. And so I very much relate to it in regards to how I handle a lot of like vacation planning or daily life. But then in relationships, my therapist calls me an industrious overfunctioner. And it means that like I will often cover for problems and like fix things mm. and patch. I will do so much work to cover for deficits until it's like so bad that I have to say this is no longer working. We must break up. And it takes a long time for me to get there. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that with me. I mean, what a what a great term. I, I am thinking of different relationships in my head where the, one of the people is like that. And so, you know, there are a lot of terms in the book and I don't want anyone listening to get too confused, but kind of my gut reaction to what you said is that you probably have more of an anxious attachment style. And so like what's going on for you is that you're like, I need to make this work because I don't want to be single. I want to be with someone. And so like, oh, like turns out he sucks at planning and is unreliable and like won't tell me if he's going to the wedding or not. Like, I'll just make it really convenient for him and like book his train ticket and book a backup train ticket. And so you like, you're kind of like smoothing out the edges to make the relationship work because you want to be in the relationship so badly, as opposed to just looking like at arm's length at the relationship and being like, this guy kind of sucks. Like if it weren't for me, we would have broken up six months ago. Yeah. I think you, I mean, you pretty much just <laughs> described things I've done in a relationship. <laughs> Another quality related to that is someone who's rushing to DTR because they're like, I can't deal with the Mm. ambiguity of are we or aren't we? And so I want to know if we're in a relationship. And so sometimes when people come to me and say, when should I define the relationship? I'm like, well, I need to know more about you because do you tend to wait because you're afraid of getting bad news? Or do you tend to DTR really quickly because you're like, I just don't want to be single and I want to know what we are. And so I think for you, obviously, there's so many layers to attachment theory and this and that, but it is really intriguing and it doesn't feel like a maximizer at all to be like, let me cover this person's flaws because I want the story in my head to be that this is a great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you mention the, like when we're thinking about how to evaluate that in ourselves, because one of the things mm-hmm. that I think both work and I are very self-aware about some of these things, you know, these tendencies that we have. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned the DTR thing because that is something that I used to struggle with, wanting to mm-hmm. define the relationship too quickly and not being able to sit in any sort of uncertainty. I mean, I still hate uncertainty, mm-hmm. being honest, but but I'm better at that part. So, but how do you do that? How do people shift their mindset? Once they're aware, okay, these are my tendencies, what work do they need to do? Mm -hmm. Like what happens next? Yeah. I mean, this is a really critical part of my book that I feel like doesn't always necessarily get attention, which is like the first piece is awareness, right? And so I can tell you that you're a hesitator, but that doesn't make you go on a date. What makes you go on a date are the steps you take 
to start dating again. And so in the book, I have the getting back out there checklist and it's very practical. It's you put in the book, the date you're going to start going out again. You get two outfits that you'll wear on dates. You get an accountability friend who you say, will you support me in overcoming my hesitator tendencies, right? You get new flattering photos. And so it's like, I'm here. I want to get to there. What are the steps I need to take? And so the behavioral science approach is that first step is awareness, but then a lot of times we don't act on it. And so what you need to do is create an environment that's going to help you succeed. And so, for example, let's say somebody is really picky about height and they say, I just know that I need a guy over six feet, even though only 14.5% of men in the U.S. are over six feet. And so you're already getting rid of a big percentage of men. And so you say, I'm going to change my filter on the dating app to be 5'7 or above. And then you go out with some guys that are a little bit shorter than the guys you normally go out with. And then you say, wait, I was super attracted to him. We just had great sex. I laughed so much. And I just actually liked looking into his eyes and it was easier to make eye contact. And you just tested your hypothesis. And so I think for a lot of people, it's acknowledging the pattern, then it's trying and making different decisions and then seeing, oh, actually what I assumed was a must have or a deal breaker was unrelated. And what matters to me is that the person is funny and kind. And the height is something that I came up with when I was 17. And I didn't even know what relationships were all about. You're on a um, perfect podcast for that comment. Um, Given I think both Ali and I have like strong (laughs) feelings about. Oh, that's so funny. I just went there. But of course, obviously, I understand the the title. (laughs) No, it's, it's absolutely perfect. And I think that so to jump around a little bit, putting things into, or I guess it's not jumping around, putting things into action, especially in terms of filters. Allie and I talk a lot about what is having needs, preferences, and standards without being mm-hmm. self-defeating, where, you know, what is, you know, we're careful with language like picky, where technically you can be as picky as you want, but are you whittling your matches down to zero people? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like, how do you balance what you feel like you're attracted to or what you want versus what's sensible for actually finding a partner? The first thing I talk about is deal breakers and how people, especially as they get older, become more stubborn, more set in their ways, more sure that they know what they want. And things that I don't think should be deal breakers or deal breakers. And I tell the story of a woman who came up to me at a networking event was like, Logan, I'm 35. I'm ready to find my person. I'll date anyone as long as he's not a mouth breather. And she was just kind of like doing a shtick that she thought was really funny. Like it kind of felt like a sex in the city, like comedy moment. But I was like a mouth breather. Like, are you kidding me? Like I barely knew what that was. And I just thought that was what I now call a PPP, a permissible pet peeve. And so sure, like mouth breathing is not the best and you would prefer someone who didn't do that, but it's not a deal breaker. It's not a reason to not be with someone long-term. And so I think for anyone listening, the first thing is write down a list of your deal breakers and then actually explore them and say, is this something that I absolutely can't put up with or is this a permissible pet peeve? Or look at the deal breakers and let's say, we'll talk about height, must be over six feet tall. Is that a deal breaker or is that a nice to have? And so those are my three categories. Nice to have, deal breaker, 
and permissible pet peeve. And so the point is that you're allowed to have deal breakers. If you're Jewish and you want your partner to be Jewish and you have a vision of the Jewish life you're going to lead and the traditions you're going to share, I don't need you to compromise on that. But if you realize that having a beard is something you're attracted to, but the right guy without a beard could really be the best partner, then I really encourage you to explore that. And so I think the first piece of the work is differentiating between those things. The second piece of the work is the chapter I have called, this is uh, go for the life partner, not the prom date. And what that's about is kind of overcoming some of these more immature things that we do when we're younger. And so a prom date, right? You want to be in pictures with them. They're a good dancer. They're going to look good in their suit. Maybe you want to sleep with them at the end of the night, like whatever prom meant to you, but it's time to grow up and to really figure out these are the traits I need in a long-term partner. And so that might mean I like to go out, but I actually don't need a partner who goes out as long as I feel like they're fascinating and I want to talk to them at the end of the night. And so I don't, I hate when people listen to my stuff and say, oh, she's telling me to settle. I'm not telling you to settle. I'm telling you to optimize for the things that matter and be more willing to not pursue the things that don't matter for long-term relationship success. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, tell, I do very similar things with my clients in terms of when they're figuring out what they're looking for in terms of listing out their deal breakers. Often there are a lot and then talking through, like Rourke said, okay, you can have these deal breakers, but let's talk about how much we're narrowing our dating pool hmm. by doing mm-hmm. this. Um, I mean, you give the height example. I'm I'm six feet tall myself. Um, cool. So I'm very aware that only like 15% of guys are my height mm-hmm. or taller. Um, but I think that that is something for me that I've tried to not do and it has mm-hmm. not gone well. Oftentimes because the guy is insecure with being smaller than me. But that's a very specific like six foot tall woman problem, which. I was about to say, it's one of those things that was not a deal breaker for me. I've had two serious relationships with people who are with men who are shorter than me. And I have now, I I just feel like I've been burned too many times. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Allie, I definitely think like, I can't speak on behalf of a woman who's 60 tall, right? I'm five, four. And so a lot of people are taller than me. And that is just a an advantage. But yeah, I think for your situation, it's different. And I, what I'm hearing from you is like, you've tried and it hasn't worked. And sometimes on their part, it reminds me of a story where my friend is maybe five, six. And he was like, I love taller women, but I'm not seeing any of them because they're all filtering me out. And he was just not sure what to do. So he put on his app that he was seven feet tall. And he was like, it's so ridiculous that I hope people know that it's not real. And so obviously I'm not endorsing people lying, but I do think this story has kind of a hyperbole that's interesting. And so when he was seven feet tall, who did he start seeing? Women who were six feet or taller because there aren't that many people who, um, you know, he he basically was seeing the the opposite population he was seeing before. And so as soon as he messaged with them, he would say, by the way, I'm 5'6". I did this for this reason. And now he's seriously dating this woman who's six feet tall. They're so happy together. He's the happiest that I've ever seen him. And I just love that he was able to be like, I'm really secure with you being tall and I'm really cute and you'll be into me. And it just took kind of 
pushing the envelope for somebody else for that to happen. And so anyway, that might be more of an exception than a rule, but it is interesting to think about the ways that our perceptions of who we'll be attracted to can be tested. And sometimes they can be different from what we expected, because I doubt that woman was looking for a guy who was five, six. Yeah, no, I love that story. Um, and to talk a little bit more about figuring out, like you mentioned the prom date thing and, you know, do I want to sleep with him at the end of the night? How do you figure out, you know, we talk about, and in your book you mention fuck the spark. And we talk about the spark a lot on our podcast as well and how we're not fans. Um, and I could tell a story about when I felt <laughs> okay. the spark and it turned out terrible. But how do you, but you do need to want to make out with them at some point. Correct. I hope so. Down the line. <laughs> One <eventually>. day. <laughs> At least I do. I would like to make out with my future partner. So how do you delineate between that? How do you, you know, put aside the spark but still figure out whether there could be that, I guess, maybe call it chemistry there? Yeah, I think this is great. And it's interesting, you know, since the book came out, I've really been connecting the dots in my own work in a different way, like realizing that like a lot of chapters are kind of saying variations on the same thing. And so it's like, go for the life partner, not the prom date is another way of saying, fuck the spark. It's another way of saying like the uh, prom date is more sparky, but go for this other person. And then go on the second date is the same thing as fuck the spark, give this other person a chance. And then I say, fuck the spark, go after the slow burn. Well, the slow burn is basically the life partner. And so it's, it's not that I'm repeating myself is that there's a consistency in one idea, which is basically if you're optimizing for that one feeling of magnetic connection and instant fireworks, you're missing out on a lot of great people. And so it's not that you should walk down the aisle and marry someone who you don't want to see naked and you don't want to kiss. It's that give people a chance to show you who they are and stop prioritizing narcissistic, vain, charismatic, hot, people who are really good at making you feel a particular excited feeling, but there's so many red flags wrapped up in that, whether it's what I mentioned, the narcissism, whether it's the anxiety that you confuse for butterflies, whether it's the fact that you just don't know how they feel about you, whether it's that they're love bombing you. And so of course you should feel attracted to the person you're going to wind up with and don't kiss somebody who you're not interested in, but who is the population that you have been writing off because you don't get that immediate spark? And can you actually give that person time to peel back the layers and show you who they are? Yeah, I think that's so great. And I also, so one of my first viral TikToks was about my worst first date. And so people always ask, oh, we know about your worst first date. What was your best first date? And I love Mm -hmm. telling that story because my best first date turned into the most toxic relationship I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah. That's well said. Because my best first- And and what were, yeah. It was was exactly what you said. It was that magnetic, like fireworks feeling. He definitely loved Bon Me. I am very susceptible to that as a romanticizer. And Mm -hmm. he had a lot of red flag tendencies. He said, I love you after 10 days. It just, it turned into this eventually really toxic thing, but it started with this, the best first date I've ever been on feeling that turned out terrible. Yeah. I think that that could be a really good lesson for a lot of people listening, which is the person you marry might not be the person that you had the best sex of your life with, or the person you marry might not be the person who you had your best first date with. And that it's actually about long-term connection liking the person more and more every time you see them, 
growing with them, peeling back the layers, feeling like there's more to be curious about. If you just have a blowout, great first date, where do you go from there? And the answer is you mostly go down. Yeah. And it it also turned into a relationship where it was very turbulent because it was like we or he or I were always looking for that sort of emotional high where oftentimes that emotion was anger. Yeah. Have you seen Vicky, Christina, Barcelona? Mm-hmm. Not for a long time, actually, now that I think about it, but yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an older movie, but basically it's like those relationships that we put on a pedestal for being super passionate, it's like, well, they're pretty uh, focused on conflict and it's like we fight and we make up, we fight and we make up, we fight and then we have great sex, right? It's like they they seek out, they trigger each other and they are constantly bothering each other and then they're they're making up, but like- is that really how you want to feel long-term? Do you really want your cortisol levels to be spiking every three days because you're having a fight? Or do you want to build something more sustainable where there's mutual respect, there's mutual communication? And it's not boring. I'm not describing choosing someone boring. I'm, tr- I'm describing choosing somebody sustainable who you can really grow and build a life with as opposed to constantly feeling like it's going to end and then you have to save it because I feel like that's too exhausting like that takes up so much mental space that you could be putting towards you know actually having fun and enjoying each other and and not just feeling anxious about it yeah I was on a walk actually with my mom the other morning and she said to me you know when I met your dad it just felt like home and she said you know hopefully when you're building a life with somebody like you're, you are going to have fights and sometimes there'll be big ones, but by and large, it is this like just feeling of sort of relaxation where you can be yourself. And so I think that to me is the, like, that's kind of my transmuted definition of the spark, like that feeling of comfort. Yeah. I think that's really well said. And there's a lot of people, Esther Perel and other people talk about this dichotomy between right. Adventure and comfort you know, do I want to run away from you and do I want to be by myself or do I want to feel like you're home? And so this happens more in long-term relationships. That's the dichotomy that she's talking about where it's like, well, now you feel so comfortable to me that there's no adventure and how do you balance the two? But I think it really applies here to what you're saying, Rourke, because maybe in the past, I don't know if this is your your quality, but a lot of people are drawn to that feeling of adventure. And then when the person does feel like home, they think, oh, this is boring. And so the reframe or what I call the slow burn is that person who feels like home. And so they don't have you up at night saying, is he interested in me? Is he going to call? You're like, I feel confident that he is going to call. And that's why I love the Kamala Doug relationship because he was busy, she was busy. And after they met, he was like, look, I'm into you. Like, why don't we give this a real shot? And he didn't play games with her. He was just like, here's how I feel about you. And so for me, he's the quintessential securely attached guy because instead of wanting to make her feel a certain anxious way and playing with her, he was just like, we're grownups. Like, let's just go after what we want, which is each other. It's inspiring. (laughs) I love them. Um, yeah, actually, my my friend's husband is a lot like that. They met when he was in grad. They met in California when he was in grad school at Michigan, and it was like their third date. And he was he had to go back to school, and it was their third date. But he said, you know, like I'm I feel something serious here. Let's talk about how we're going to make this work. And they're now married and have three children, and he's like the best. <laughs> 
I love that. I feel like, I don't know the right term for it, but it's just this quality. You know, my friend is, I don't want to say all the cities, but she has an apartment in one city. Then she had this COVID apartment in another city. And the guy she's dating, who's so awesome, lives in a third city. And she basically just said to him, like, I cannot afford to pay rent in three cities. Like, what, you know, what should I do? And like, what she was looking for was for him to say, I want you to move here. And she didn't know how to ask for that. But when he heard her, he was like, look, of course I want you to move here. I don't feel ready to move in together. Here are the ways that we can make it financially feasible for you. Here's how I can help you move. Like he just understood what she was asking for and gave her that affirmation and confirmation. And he didn't make her feel needy and he didn't play a game. He just said, yes, I would like you to move here. And now she's moving here. And I'm just so happy for her. And I think when I heard that, I was like, I want you to marry this person because I've known her for a long time and I know her habits, but I'm just like, you need a guy who just understands the underlying question that you're asking and makes you feel good versus being like, I don't know, like, what would it mean if you moved here? Like, are are you, is this moving too quickly? He's just like, yeah, this feels good. Like, let's give it a try. And I think so often, you know, we'll move for a job, but we won't move for a partner. But it's like, why? Both of those things matter. And I really think that, taking a risk on yourself and the leap of faith, you can always move back. Like why not just give it a chance and see what unfolds when you're actually vulnerable and real with yourself? Yeah. Can I, I want to hop on that for a second. So I very much am somebody who would instantly move for a job Mm -hmm. and I would be hard pressed to move for a guy. Mm -hmm. And unless we were like married. Mm -hmm. And so For me, that is due to a sense that I can control my destiny in a work environment. I absolutely trust myself to rise to the top, to work super hard, to make a business opportunity worth it. However, I cannot work Mm -hmm. to make somebody love me. So like I could, like I can move for a job, make it work. I can move for a relationship, it falls apart and I'm in a city where I know nobody. And like that, that feels much, that just feels a lot scarier and different to somebody like me. Yeah. No, I totally understand. And not that I know you very well, but I definitely work with a lot of career focused women who are like, if I want to get promoted, I do these 10 things and then I get promoted. Like when I wanted to get my job, I crafted 30 unique resumes to 30 companies. And then I got interviews at 10 and right. It's like, I have a plan. I set a goal and I go after it. And that's what makes love so hard, right? There is not, you cannot reverse engineer a relationship. And trust me, I, And somebody who tried to do that for many years and who was like, oh, well, if I just make this Google form for him that helps him realize that I'm really making his life so much better, like then he'll want to be with me. And it's like, not only does that not work, but it probably pushes you, pushes the person away. And so part of that is just fundamentally acknowledging that one of the reasons why we get so focused on career is because it has very clear input and output, right? If I work 20 hours a day, Mm -hmm. then I can get this job and make this amount of money. And so we're very drawn to work because it has such clear metrics for success and it it rewards us and our manager says, good job. And love is something different. But I think that if you just don't expect it will have some of the same guarantees and you're more willing to fail and be open-minded, then that's really helpful. And the other thing I would say is if we go through life only doing the things that we're good at, then we never learn something new. And so this is about like the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset where you're maybe in part of your head, you're like, I'm really good at work. Like I 
am a boss babe. I, I know what to do at work, but like relationships are a thing I struggle with. And so it's hard for you and maybe you fail and it's hard to put yourself out there. But if you're just like, everything is a chance to get better and you're more willing to just see failure as a step towards success, then moving for a guy and having it blow up, it's just like, oh, that's a story that I'll tell on the podcast or that's a story that I'll put in my memoir as opposed mm-hmm. to like, I fucked up and I made the wrong choice. It's all about like the narrative in your head around the journey and what you're going through. Yeah. So I love that you opened up a little bit about how, you know, you tried to prescribe exactly, you know, what was going to happen for you for a long time. And I'm curious, what do you think that turning point for you in your life was that allowed you to be open for your now husband? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it for me was a combination of understanding Yeah, I think a lot of it was attachment theory. I don't even know if I knew the terms at the time. I probably didn't, but it definitely plays out in those terms, which was I was super anxiously attached and I was very addicted to the chase. And so what was happening was something like, you know, similar to what Rourke and I were just talking about at work. If I set a goal and I went after it, not only was I good at that, but there was a high from achieving the goal. And so with guys would be like, oh, well, this guy's hot and he's not interested. Therefore, I'm going to set it as a challenge. And there will be a huge sense of satisfaction when that guy ends up liking me. And so it was about really convincing somebody to be with me. And if somebody liked me, it wasn't that I was turned off by them because I have self high self-confidence and I was fine being with, you know, some people are like, if they like me, then they don't see like what a piece of shit I am. That's not what was going on for me, but I liked the chase and I liked the challenge, but it was just so frustrating for me. And so basically I was really interested in this guy who was quintessential avoidant. I was triggered and I was my most anxious and we were just reinforcing each other's patterns. We were both miserable. It just wasn't working. And so that's when I ended up seeing a dating coach and doing the inner work that I needed to do around things like, well, how does that avoiding guy make you feel? Okay. Um, insecure, not lovable, depressed, anxious, all of these things that I absolutely don't want to feel. And how do you want a guy to make you feel? secure, desired, appreciated, smart, sexy, intelligent, all of these things. And I was just like, I'm not getting that from him at all. He's just reinforcing my worst traits. I'm crying on the couch all the time. And then through the work with her, I was like, there is a guy who makes me feel that way. And it's this guy at work that I'm spending time with. But I had met him in college, just became friends, basically acquaintances, Um, saw him on Tinder, swiped left because I was like, nah, it kind of looks like a bro. And then even at work, when we did have a connection, I was like, oh, he doesn't like Burning Man and he doesn't like international travel. And I, at the time I was like, those are my core identity. That was so important to me that I brushed him aside. But in doing the exercise with the dating coach, which is essentially what my book is, right? It's saying, this is who I am. What are the exercises? I realized that I could go to Burning Man with my friends. I could show him that international travel could be really fun and that those things that I thought were deal breakers were permissible pet peeves and that when it came to the must-haves, he had them, right? He was hilarious and kind and a genius and really saw me, like really truly was a feminist who was like all about what 
I am. And it was such a big shift to be like, oh, this is how it feels when you choose someone and they choose you. And so now, you know, we've been together for six years. We've been married for a year. I feel like our relationship is stronger than ever. And it's like, why would you want to choose someone who you have to convince to like you? Why wouldn't you choose someone where you're sort of both moving towards each other and it's this mutual choice and nobody's nobody has to be convinced of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the biggest takeaway for me from that story is that you are a burner who is happily married to a non-burner and it's going well. Well, he he has gone to Burning Man with me twice now and he had a great time. <laughs> okay. but, oh my gosh. But isn't that- What a generous man. I know. He's great. But I think that's part of it. It's like, okay, I was however old I was, 26 years old. And I was like, oh my God, he doesn't go to Burning Man. Like that means he's small minded and it means he's closed off and he doesn't like hippie alternative culture. And it's like, no, he didn't know what Burning Man was and he was afraid of it. And it was kind of a shtick to be uh, a bit of a, you know, Larry David, I hate everyone thing. But like in reality, when I was like, this is what it is and this is why it's important to me and here's how I'll make you feel safe and comfortable, like then he went and then he went again. And so I think what's so funny about that is not only are the two things that I wrote him off for not important, we've literally done both of them many times. And so they weren't even true traits about who he was. They were just representations of things that he was not sure about at the time. So what we're saying is that perhaps Rourke and I will I'm, come around. I'm very yeah, scared. Rourke, Rourke and I are terrified of Burning Man. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why are you terrified of it? I'm really afraid of the lack of water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You could just bring a lot of I water. Just... <laughs> I, I so truly funny. just feel like I would feel out of control. Like it was just not, yeah. I just think it, I just think the like lack of, of rules, I suppose uh-huh. would be upsetting to me. Yeah. I mean, look, I've been five times, but I also haven't been in a while and I'll see if I go back. When I think about it now, it's kind of how I feel about going to Coachella where I'm like, that sounds very exhausting. Like, I think I would be so tired, right? Like I think about how tiring it would feel. And so Allie, for you, you're like, it would be scary to not have rules, but then you also don't know how liberating it might be to not have a schedule or like, what's it like to not know what time it is? And so I think there's all these pieces of it that are so different from what they call it Burning Man, like default world, that actually maybe you would love it because yeah. it would just be so different for you. But anyway, I'm not necessarily a Burning Man evangelist. And I think some people would just really be physically uncomfortable. <laughs> no, but we, it's just funny because as we were both reading your book, we were texting each other, Logan went to Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that where everyone falls in love with their prom date guy? I know that something... so. Something that we wanted to speak specifically about with you is getting back into dating. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. because you took a pause because of COVID. Maybe you took a pause because you just had some burnout or maybe you just got out of a relationship. Whatever reason, you're sort of re-entering the dating pool. Or maybe you're a hesitator. Exactly. Or you're a hesitator. And um, what is it just like general, sort of generally, what is your response to that? Yeah. So we talked at the beginning about the hesitator with the getting back out there checklist. And I think a lot of that applies here. Uh, like gut reaction is this term that we came up with at Hinge called FODA, which is fear of dating again. And we just did this big project on what do we predict with post-vax dating. 
and so this is within Hinge. This is not like all daters across U.S., but there's all these conversations around shock girl summer and hot back summer and the whoring 20s. But that's just not what we're seeing. What we're seeing at Hinge is that people actually are really ready for relationships. And they're like, I just spent a year alone. You know what I want? I want a partner to go through the next pandemic with. And so there's actually just a very big urge to prioritize dating and put in the work. But along with the 75% of daters that are ready for relationship, when you cut it a different way, 51% of hinge daters are experiencing FODA. And so there's just a huge amount of people that feel like their dating skills are rusty. They're still nervous about COVID. They don't know how to hold a conversation with a stranger because they haven't done that in 15 months. And so really my first reaction is just, yeah, that's really normal. A lot of people are motivated to find someone, but hesitant about getting back out there because they just, they don't feel their most confident, happiest, charming selves. Mm -hmm. I recently went on a first date for the first time in, gosh, four months, I think. My last first date before that was in January and not really on purpose, but I was living in San Diego for a while. I came back to the city. I have a crazy demanding job. And then I moved. So there was just like all this stuff going on. And I went on my first first date in a while and it was hard. That small talk Mm -hmm. with somebody was really hard. Yeah. I'm definitely seeing that. Like my friend called me the other day crying after her parents visited and she like thought that she had messed this thing up and this and that. I was like, I think you're just really exhausted. I was like, I think just being a host for your family for three days was like way harder than it would be in a normal year because you just have spent most of your time like inside with your boyfriend. And like, it was just a lot of social energy. And I think, yeah, I, I was my I was with my cousins the other day and they were introducing me to someone and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, I don't even know how to introduce myself. Like, I just felt like a weird hermit. And I think if you think that we're feeling that in non-dating situations and then you apply to that the anxiety that dating always has, like, of course, that's a stress a recipe for stress. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Love that. Yeah. This guy, we call him the music man. He yeah. he was just talking a mile a minute from the from the moment he walked up to me, and I literally from moment one was like, uh, like I can't I can't process all of these words that are coming at me. I'm not used to this. Like fight or flight, terrified. Yeah, and it's like maybe that you would have felt that way about that person regardless, but you had less kind of social resilience built up to be like, okay, I know how to handle this person. Like I'm going to like go to the bathroom a lot and then like say I have to go and like make it short. Instead you were like, what is dating? (laughs) Yes. That was the exact issue. Like I don't think I would have liked him as a, uh, a first date no matter what. But when I was telling Rourke that we got a second round of drinks, she was like, what are you talking about? I don't know. I just said yes. I didn't know what to do. I was overwhelmed. But normally I would never do that. I would know how to handle it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are going to have that. And so maybe they'll be like, well, normally I would say he's not a good fit, but I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's him. I forget what dating is. And so maybe it'll have a silver lining of people will actually go on the second date with someone that they wouldn't have said yes to otherwise and it'll work out. Or it'll be like what you had where you know, you spent an extra 45 minutes with someone who you didn't like. But I think the underlying message is like, we all have to build up our social 
skills again. And sitting at home feeling bad about that doesn't get you any closer to getting better at dating. And so like go out there, like date the bad pancakes, like you'll be the bad pancake for someone. And then you'll kind of get back to your old way (laughs) in terms of like knowing how to communicate with a live stranger. A a real live stranger right there in front of you. Real live stranger coming at you. I feel like that's almost like a perfect place to sort of end the conversation majeure and switch to our little game that we like to play with our guests. If you're up for it, Logan, it's just a few. um, No problem. It's from the game. Let's get deep. Technically questions for couples. They are questions for guests Mm -hmm. in this um, setting. Mm -hmm. Allie, we can start with you for this one. What celebrity would play you in your biopic? I've thought about this a lot. And not because I saw the questions in advance, but just because I've thought about this a lot. Great. (laughs) And first of all, is that how you pronounce that word, biopic? It's not biopic? I've always said biopic because it's a biographical pic. No, that... That makes a lot of sense. I just like always said it biopic in my head. Anyway, <gasps> for my biopic, I think that younger me would be played by Zendaya. Oh, I love that for you. Mm, I love Thank Zendaya. You. And then older me would be Carrie Washington. Powerhouses, both of them. Great. I love, I love both of them. I, I specifically would like Carrie Washington from Scandal. Like that energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I would like. Love that. Logan, do you have a... Yeah. So this person is not super famous, but I just saw her in two movies and I was like, I just feel like we're the same. Like, I just really like her. And then I started watching all of these videos about her and she just like talks about how much she loves eating and chocolate. And I was like, I just love her. I feel like she would play like 20 something me. Her name is Molly Gordon. She was in... Did you see Booksmart? Yeah. Okay. So she wasn't the main people in Booksmart. She was that girl that they call Triple A. I'm Googling her as we speak. She, they find out that she's also smart. Oh, she's so cute. Yeah, I just I and then there's a new movie called Sh- Yeah, there's a new movie called Shiva Baby and she's in it and she plays like the lesbian bisexual love interest and I just like I don't know, there's something about like the way she speaks and her facial expressions where I yeah, I'm really into her. I feel like that would be my my 20 something choice. That's it. Yeah, that's a great nuanced answer. Um, I so my problem is I get too attached to the character the person plays, where I don't actually know. Like this Mm -hmm. person Uh. can't be like this. I'm sure of it. But wait, I feel like I'm getting a Carrie Mulligan vibe. Oh wow, that's a compliment. Thank you. Oh, I love that. Um, I will totally take that. I was gonna say that this is the person I get compared to the most. It's the woman on Silicon Valley. They say I have a very similar speech cadence to her. I need to I've never watched Silicon Valley. The actress the actress's name is Amanda Crew. That's interesting. Well, obviously you do a podcast, which is a very audio focused medium, but it's interesting that you're kind of choosing it based on your the cadence. I don't know. That's just like a, a funny thing to connect with about someone, but I'll definitely look at her later and watch a video about it. Yeah, her character's name is Monica Hall. Okay, I'm looking right now. She kind of looks like what's her name in Mean Girls? Who's like stop trying to make fetch happen? I feel like she kind of looks like Gretchen her. Wieners. Gretchen Wiener. Yeah. What's her? I don't know what I her real name is. Lacey Chabert, oh, yeah. now of Hallmark movie <laughs> yes, fame. Yes, Lacey okay. Chabert. 
Um, okay, this one's a quick one. Logan, what's your best dance move? Oh, I'm such a bad dancer. Probably just jumping because I don't know what else to do. A little jump around action? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> love, a ju- love a jump around. When you around. don't know what to do, just be enthusiastic. That is true for so many things. It really is. Allie, what about you? Mine is like a break your knees type of okay. move. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where like your feet stay planted, but your knees move side to side. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's cool. a good one. That's a classic. Do your hands do the yeah. swapping thing? Sometimes. Cool. Yeah, sometimes. And usually I purse my lips when I dance. I've only noticed that I hold my breath. Like my, my cheeks puff and I hold my breath when I dance. And the only reason I know this is because of TikTok. I, like I feel that. like that should create some great candid wedding photos for you. <laughs> yeah, probably. My friends are probably editing me out this entire time. I too am a terrible dancer, Logan. And so I would say I don't really have a dance move, but I feel very safe in a group dance like the electric slide. Great. Yeah, even for me. Oh, like a choreographed dance. Yes, like an instructive dance. I can follow instructions well. See, the cha-cha slide, I feel like is very obvious, but the electric slide might even be like beyond my skill level. And then you're like, well, I'm the one messing up the group rhythm. (laughs) No, impossible. I'm glad you have the electric slide in your back pocket, though. (laughs) Yeah. I'm great on the bat mitzvah circuit. Um, Okay. What is something embarrassing you do when no one is home? I talk to my cats. I think that is completely normal pet ownership behavior. It's a, it's an, it's on another level. We have conversations. Okay. That got weirder. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you see me do it? I muted myself to talk to Logan about why, oh, my cat's name is Logan. Oh, cute. Um, But I had to have a conversation with him about how he can't fit on the stool with me. And he was upset. Oh. So he was meowing back. I did see his head for a little bit there. Speaking <laughs> of Logans, I think my uh, embarrassing alone behavior is watching Gilmore Girls. And I've watched 159 hours of Gilmore Girls in the last few months. So I'll just a lot. Why do you of think her cat time. is named Logan? Oh, is that why? Cool. Yeah. Logan. Wait, my, is the other one named Jesse? My other cat is named Rory. Really? Oh. So you're team Logan? I like Logan too. So I, I'm not. I'm actually team Jess. I'm a, I was actually always like a strong team Jess. Problem is I didn't feel like it fit a cat. Yeah. Um, good to know that you think Logan's a good cat name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not Got you there. <laughs> I'm not easily offended at all. But yeah, I just go. feel like the amount of Gilmore, you know, if you go deep into the subreddits of Gilmore Girls, people are like, what was going on for you when you were watching Gilmore Girls? And it's always like, I was getting divorced. I was avoiding my thesis. It's like, it's kind of a, a funny, like depressive rite of passage to really go hard on Gilmore Girls. And not uh, not that I feel exactly that way about it, but really just like going from having seen zero episodes to 159. I was like, that was a lot of time on Gilmore. To me, that show is a warm blanket. It just makes you feel good. It does. I agree. Yeah, it's pretty great. I did not like a year in the life. Oh, it's bad. Oh, terrible. It's so it's terrible. Bad. Everybody it was honestly agrees. like, yeah, yeah. How could you even? Yeah, Rory the cat is from seasons one through five. <laughs> yeah, season six itself is not even canon. Yeah, yeah. not even canon. Yeah, not six and seven are trash. I would say my embarrassing thing is that I, I love to cook, and I will cook 
extravagant meals for myself, but then I will eat them like hovering, standing up over whatever preparation vessel I did it in. Like I won't put it on a plate and take it and eat it like a civilized human at my table. Oh, oh that's you don't use plates? I mean, I can use a plate sometimes. I use well, bowls for salads, but um, <laughs> I typically just will eat out of um, like a uh, um, like a sheet. Pan. Like I'll, I've literally like carved a chicken on a sheet pan and eat it with my hands hovering over it. Oh, wow, I like that. That's a great answer. I'll work on my. Yeah, I like how yours were like cute things, else. and I'm just like I'm an animal. No, I think that's great. <sighs> well, that that's is funny. all. Cool. It's really so great chatting with you. Yes. I'm so glad we did this. This honestly, when we started this podcast, we talked about how you were a dream guest. And so the oh, fact that so you're here nice. is so feels nice. incredible. And yeah. so tell all of our listeners how can they find you? How can they support you? What what should they do to get into the Logan Yuri business? Great. Well, they can definitely pick up my book, How to Not Die Alone. And if you liked the sound of my voice, you can get the audiobook. If you didn't, you can get the hardcover or the Kindle. If you're curious about your dating tendency, you can take the quiz on my website, loganyuri.com. And then you can also unfollow your exes and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Logan Yuri. Yes. I love that. Um, and we will also put all that stuff in the show notes and on our website. So everybody will be Great. able to find it super easily. Cool. Great. Logan, thank you so much for joining us and you guys have a great night.